you would, and turn to Luke 16. This morning we're going to look at the subject, what happens when we fail to follow God's plan? You see, God does have a plan, amen? But if we don't follow it, uh, we think we're going to do it our way, our own way. We think you're going to get around him or uh, it, it just don't work. And we're going to see today that uh, it's very important that we do that. Luke 16, verse 19, Jesus said, by the way, I love to preach those messages where Jesus said, there was a certain man who was splendidly clothed and who lived each day in luxury. At his door lay a diseased beggar named Lazarus. And as Lazarus lay there longing for the scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his sores. Finally, the beggar died and was carried by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried, and his soul went to the place of the dead. The Hebrew is Sheol, which he goes on to, uh, to describe this as a place of torment. And he saw Lazarus in the far distance with Abraham. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime, you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now, he's here being comforted and you're in torment. You're in agony. You're in anguish. And besides this, there's a great divide, schism, separation that's separating us. Any who, anyone who wanted to cross over to you from here is stopped at its edge. And no one there can cross over to us. This story is about two men and how they lived and how they died. One was poor, one was rich. Both men died. The rich man went to hell, and the beggar went to heaven. The rich man didn't go to hell because he was rich, and the, bigger, the beggar didn't go to heaven because he was poor. The rich man went to hell because he had not accepted God's plan of salvation. The poor man went to heaven because he had received by faith the gift of salvation. There was a man who left the snow-filled streets of Chicago in vacation to, to, to vacation in Florida. His wife was on a business trip and was planning to meet him there the next day. When he reached his hotel, he thought he'd send his wife a quick email and realized that he'd lost a little piece of paper that he had his wife's email address on, and so he tried to, out of memory, reproduce it. Only problem was he left out one letter, and he sent the note to an elderly woman whose husband had just passed away the day before. When the grieving widow checked her email, she took one look at the monitor, read the message, let out a tremendous scream, 
and fell to the floor dead faint. When the family rushed in to the room, the note on the computer screen read like this, dearest wife, just checked in. Everything is prepared for your arrival tomorrow. Your loving husband, P.S., it sure is hot down here. Luke 16, 19 through 31 is definitely about a hot topic. When we fail to listen to God's plan, you can rest assured that your life in eternity will be an uncomfortable one for the rest of your life. People today are living as if there is no plan one second after death. But there is. There is a very descriptive one. There there are people who say in the liberal world that this is nothing other than a parable and that a parable is just an illustration. Well, I want you to know if that were true, this is an illustration of what's going to happen to you (laughs) one second after you die if you don't know Jesus. If you know Jesus, you'll be just like Lazarus. You will be where Jesus is. And that's a cool thing. I want us to understand that there is a serious thing involved when you and I don't follow God's plan. It was John Lennon during my high school days in the 70s, the former Beatle, and that's a long time, wrote a song included these words. Imagine there's no heaven. It is easy if you try. Now, no hell below us and above us only sky. You know, that's exactly what people are trying to say today in religious worlds. And I mean, they're just making this stuff up. Hey, there is no hell. Unfortunately, it's just not the truth. One lady was so upset about this and, and she had just, she had heard like everybody else. You create hell on earth yourself. Hell is of your doing. Well, this wife was so upset, and she went to her mother, and she said, Mama, Mama said, what's wrong with you, honey? She said, Mother, I can't marry John. He has a religious belief that there is no hell. Her mother said, oh, go ahead and marry him. He'll find out on his own. <laughs> you see, the fact of it is, There is a hell, and it's not just created when you get married or by anything else that happens on this earth. I want us to look at two simple points. One is, we need to hear hell's solid conviction. Jesus said in verse 19, there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed and who lived each day in luxury. Verse 20 says, at the rich man's door lay a diseased beggar named Lazarus. Verse 21, Lazarus lay there longing for the scraps from the rich man's table. And the dogs came and licked his sores. Verse 22, finally the beggar died and was carried by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. His soul went to hell where he lifted up his eyes in torment. Verse 23, there in torment... The rich man saw Lazarus in Abraham's bosom. And uh, so the story goes. There were two men 
that I want us to look at. One is the rich man. The rich man was, according to verse 19, clothed in purple and in fine linen. Now, what does that suggest? It suggests that he was a man of power. He was a man of, of prominence. And he was a man of prestige. You see, it doesn't take long to understand that a man like that dressed like a king and he dined like a king. Verse 19 tells us that he fared sumptuously every day. What's that mean? It refers to he lived it up. He was living it up and and he was so wealthy that he could have anything he wanted for, and, and fared sumptuously really refers to his diet. He had a banquet, banquet meal every meal. Prime rib for breakfast, lobster for lunch, a T-bone steak for dinner. He literally lived in luxury and wallowed in wealth. He had everything that money could buy. If he were alive today, he would have been featured among the lives of the rich and famous. And who knows, he might even have even run for president of the United States. Jesus said in Matthew 19, verse 23 and 24, it is very hard for a rich person to get into the kingdom of heaven. Verse 24, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. You see, wealth sometimes blinds even believers. You know, I've seen people that didn't have anything and they were just so happy and and content. And all of a sudden, they receive an inheritance and they become miserable. They start living off the chart. It's because wealth can, it doesn't have to, but it can blind even a believer. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 10 says, those who love money will never have enough. How absurd, absurd to think that wealth brings true happiness. Verse 11, Ecclesiastes 5, the more you have, the more people show up to help you spend it. Well, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Verse 12 says, the rich are always worrying, seldom. <clears throat> They're always worrying and they seldom get a good night's sleep. And uh, here lately... Uh, If you're living from the standpoint of the stock market, I understand that. Ecclesiastes 6, 9 says, enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. And just dreaming about nice things is like chasing the wind. I grant you, there are times that I sit and I say, boy, I sure would like to have about a 26-foot V-hull deep with about two twin 200s on it where I could go out in the ocean and, and fish. But it's only a dream. When I wake up, that's all it was, was a dream. I just have to go with somebody that has one. And and I'm just as happy as long as I'm catching fish. Well, you see, what we see here as we see this unfold, I want you to hear this because Ecclesiastes 7.14 says, Enjoy prosperity while you can. Listen to this, you prosperity gospel people. But when hard times strike, realize that both of them come from God. I run into these religious nuts that say, if you don't have a Lexus or a Mercedes, if you don't have a fine home, 
or if you're, if you have a life exemplified here, like this poor dude, he didn't even have the ability nor the strength to fight off the dogs licking the sores. He lived outside. He, he, he desired the scraps of the rich man table, but the Bible says when he died, he went to heaven. Now understand that while I don't want to be like that, that doesn't mean one day it won't happen to me. You may think you got all this stuff figured out on this side of heaven, and, and that'll never happen to me. I'll never sleep under a piece, piece, a piece of plastic in the woods. I would never say never. I just wouldn't say that. Well, that's the rich man. Now let's look at the rag man, verse 20, the beggar. Lazarus was so poor, he couldn't even afford to pay attention. He was a cripple. He had nothing to eat. It seemed like sores and ulcers were eating his outside flesh. He had no money for food, for medicine, for doctors. He was as poor as the other man was rich. But that wasn't the greatest difference between these two men. The major difference between these two men was not that one was rich and that one was poor. Don't get the idea that one man went to hell because he was rich and the other man went to heaven because he was poor. God doesn't, does not put a premium on poverty, nor does he put a penalty on plenty. God does not condone poverty, nor does he condemn plenty. Some of the greatest and godliest men in the Bible were rich. Job was the Ben Cartwright of his day. Joseph was the prime minister of Egypt. David and Solomon were two of the richest rulers in the the world that ever lived. But yet they had a deep and committed love for God. The difference between these two men is not what they owned, but what owned them. I want you to understand that if the rich man had given everything he had, walked out and just blessed the, the poor man... It would, have not, it would not have guaranteed that the rich man would have died and went to heaven. You see, God doesn't want what you have. He wants everything of who you are. Are you committed? Are you dedicated? Uh, is your trust in Jesus or is it in yourself? Is it in your wealth? Is it in your riches? Lazarus' name in itself meant, in God I trust. I think it's cool in verse 22, it says, when Lazarus died, he was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. I've heard people ask me this, well, Mike, when you die, who comes to get you? <laughs> angels. Ain't that cool? Now, it doesn't, it's not, it doesn't mean anything to you until you get ready to cross over what's going to happen to you. But I'm telling you, some of you have been in here close to death, and it's on your mind when you're fixing to cross over. Oh, my goodness, not only am I saved, but who's going to come and get me? Well, the Bible says that in, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, that angels are ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation. Who's going to come and get me when I die? Angels. And they're going to take you slap. To Jesus, you won't get lost. You'll be just fine. I think it's also interesting to note that when the when 
Even though the beggar died and was carried away, the rich man died and he was buried. And immediately he wakes up on the other side in torment. There were some sailors talking aboard a ship, and, and one of them asked the chaplain if he believed in hell. The chaplain answered, yes, I certainly do. Why do you ask? Well, they said, for this reason, if there's a hell and you don't believe in it, we don't want you for a chaplain. And if you believe there's not a hell, we don't need a chaplain. On Monday night, for the last two Monday nights, I have had the privilege of teaching a wee ball, coaching a wee ball, and I am out of my element. I can't be competitive with the three and four years old. I'll tell you why in a minute. But I was, I probably got off script, so Tommy and Nicole don't get too bad at me. But I was telling them about the importance of Jesus and that Jesus loves them. And the Bible says that, that the children came unto Jesus. And, and the disciples were, do you remember that story? They was trying to push the little children away. And Jesus said, hey, suffer the little children to come unto me. I love those kids. I want them. And, and by the way, if you don't come to me like a little child, you won't come to, to heaven at all. And I got caught up in this. And I said, and, and i tell you what, if Jesus said this, but I don't know that I should have said it that night. But I said, you know what? The Bible says that you're so important. If anybody causes you to stumble, they ought to take a rope and put it around your neck and throw you in the bottom of those. Well, I thought I did, right? I can see them little three and four-year-old, oh, God, don't put a rope around my neck and tie it to a rock and throw me in the ocean. Joe said, Daddy, you got to remember, you're used to teaching adults. You scared them little three and four-year-olds to death. Well, I didn't mean to. But one thing that I am committed to is that if I can share with them, by the way, the second lesson that I had with them was about how to get saved. And I stopped right there. I didn't talk about hell. I didn't do anything. I just told them about Jesus, and I told them about John three sixteen, and I told them about all that stuff, and they were going, Whew. you know. And I don't want them to be afraid of me because, you know what, when I look into their eyes, I realize that I have a grand opportunity to lay some foundation and truth in their lives that when they get a little bit older, six and seven years old, guess what they're going to do? Many of them will probably accept Jesus as their Savior. So, I, I get a little off board sometimes and I get a little stretched, strained out there, but uh, my heart's right. Mike, do you believe in people getting saved? Absolutely, I believe in people getting saved. And, and I want you to know that when we look into the Scripture here, we got to know it because the rich man teaches us that hell is real. It's a place of torment. It's a place of agony. It's a place where 
you and I ought to understand biblically it's a real place. Matthew 25 says hell is a place of punishment. In Mark 9, it's a place of unquenchable fire. In Luke 16, it's a place of unquenched thirst. Hell is a place of misery and pain. Luke 16, Revelation chapter 14. It's a place of terrible frustration and anger. Matthew 13, chapter 24. Hell is a place of eternal separation from God. 2 Thessalonians 1, 8 and 9. In hell, the rich man was consciously seeing all that was going around him. He saw the scalding tears. He saw that it was a real place. Verse 27, Luke 16 says, he heard the screams of millions of parched throats. Now, I promise you, I won't teach this Monday night with the kids. But, and, and they also uh, talked about the consciousness in feeling where hell is not just a state of mind. It's a place of reality. It's not fiction, but it's actually factual. You see, He realized that he had a memory in hell. He remembered his brothers and they were lost. In verse 24, he he had the consciousness of a taste. He just desired one tip of a water, which is not a lot of water, but in hell there is such a thing. And he wanted the the poor man, uh, uh, Lazarus, just to come and to cool, he said, my tongue in this torment. That ought to motivate any of us to share Jesus. That ought to motivate any of us to want to tell the world, to tell our loved ones, to tell our friends, to tell our foes that Jesus is the only way. You know, when you look at the rich man, All of a sudden, one second after death, he became concerned about witnessing. As a matter of fact, he said, Abraham, would you let Lazarus come back from the dead and go to my five brothers, read it right there in front of you, a few verses that follow, and tell them about what horrible place this is and tell them about how not to to how to get saved and and not go to this kind of a place. Would you do that? What did the rich, what did Abraham tell him? He said to the rich man, they have Moses and they have the prophets. And though one person rose from the dead and went back to your brothers, your brothers would not believe it. Before we get too hard on the rich man, are we not guilty of that a little bit ourselves? How many of you like to see those movies where they die, go to heaven and come back and give testimony? We all eat that up, don't we? Why? Because it just does something to our curiosity. Abraham said, if you don't listen to the word of God, if you don't listen to the teachers of God, if you don't listen to the preachers of God, You're not going to go through some super, whatever, magnificent event, and all of a sudden, you're going to to believe. No, that's not the way it works. In the early service, I preached this message, and I gave the invitation. And one lady got saved because she prayed the prayer. Not the prayer. Prayer don't save you. Not words. 
It's your opening your heart and your life and accepting Jesus into your heart, realizing you're a sinner and in need of a Savior, and you trust in, in Him to follow Him the rest of your life. Let me tell you something. When you invite Christ in your life, you are as born again as you're going to get. And you can forget all that junk about being baptized with the Holy Ghost. If you're not baptized with the Holy Ghost, you're going to bust hell wide open. And I know a lot of charismatic, that ain't what they mean. They mean evidence in tongues and, and all this other stuff. I use my tongue, and I use it in English, and I use it for Jesus. I prayed so many years to God give me the gift of tongues, and I really finally realized he did give me a gift, and that was preaching the gospel and preaching the word of God. And I got to preach it in English because y'all don't understand Spanish. By the way, Spanish is a form of tongues because the word is not unknown in the King James Version. It is a known tongue. That was a mistranslation. And if anybody in here that's been to school, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. And that is a known tongue. It is a known language of what they're talking about, you see. And, and, and I'm telling you, when it comes to, to hell, you're, if you end up in hell, you are going to get concerned for your family, but it's too late. You are going to start praying, but it's way too late. Well, when do I get saved? Today. You say, well, how can I get saved? Realize, if you realize, don't you walk down here because I'm preaching on hell and scared you. You to death. <laughs> I almost said it. I, look, you just realize you're lost. Realize the Holy Spirit, if he's calling you, he made you aware that he, Jesus died on the cross for you to get saved, then accept him. If you don't and you die, you will hear this sermon for eternity. Boy, I'd hate to hear I had to hear this one for eternity. Listen, friends, we need to reach them, reach the five brothers while there's time. We need to open our mouths and share Jesus with the lost and the dying generation. Let us do what we're called to do in the gospel and go tell the world about Jesus who loves them, who died for them, who will save them if they will trust in Jesus. On October the 29th, 1999, the CBS Morning Show went to a, to a headline called Went to Hell. A headline in the Detroit News, November the 3rd, 1999, that read this way. Businessman sees hell as a tourist site. A headline in Chicago Tribune on October the 29th, the year 2000, read like this. Saints and sinners can all go to hell. On January the 7th, 2001, a headline in Detroit News read, Almost cold enough to freeze hell. The article read, The deep freeze that hit the nation in recent weeks and buried several states in an unending wave of snow had one more odd effect. Hell almost froze over. What each of these media sources were referring to was a small town between Detroit and Lansing, Michigan, called Hale. The small town of just a few hundred residents, it has a capitalized it has capitalized off of its name. The Chamber of Commerce has a billboard visible to travelers traveling westbound on M-36, suggesting they go to Hale. The town gets called, boy, if somebody just took that alone and take me, that'd get me in trouble, wouldn't it? Anyway, the town gets called throughout the year from television and newspapers, weather reporters, to find out if their town, if their town is truly hotter or colder than hell. 
Husbands send their alimony checks through the post office so that they are postmarked in hell. Many citizens in southeast Michigan converge on this little town every April to mail their tax returns so they bear the, the hell postmark. Each year, the town hosts the Run Through Hell Marathon and Blessed in Hell, an annual blessing ceremony for motorcycle riders and their bikes. There's a popular website called Hell to You, where souvenirs and all kinds of things can be ordered from hell. One article about the little town read, Tucked away as it is amidst the hills and the creeks and the rivers, Hell maintains a strange combination of notoriety and attraction. People come to visit to see hell, to say they've been back to hell and back. How the town got its name seems to date back in 1841. When one man named George Reeves was asked at one of the founding uh, fathers of the town, the story goes that he was asked when the ta- what should the town be named? Reeves reported, I don't care. You can name it hell if you want to. Well, what they named it. Some of you are here today, and your attitude about your life and the plan that God has made to you, you just don't care. Yesterday, I shot birds. I'll relieve you because some of you animal lovers are mad at me because I killed a bear, uh, a dove. I didn't kill one. I shot a whole box and blew my shoulder off. I couldn't hit the side of a barn yesterday. Now, others did, but not me. Would I have killed the ones I shot at? Absolutely, because I love to eat dove. I was sitting there on a tree talking to the dad of the man who owns the little farm we was at, big farm. And this guy comes walking up, couple of teeth showing out of his mouth, and, and they begin to talk to him, and, and then all of a sudden, he said, well, I'm wore out. I'm going to go home and heat up the grease, and I'm going to fix me some catfish, and then I'm going to get drunk. I'm talking about drunk till I don't even know till it's Monday. Well, now, he's standing by me about like this cross, and I was just fixing to say, and the, ma- the daddy of the farm said, I tell you what, go eat that catfish, because that's good stuff. I know we're down the river where you got it. But rather than getting drunk, why don't you just let me pick you up for church in the morning? Well, I guess I ought to. That's all he said. That man has no more a plan of one second after death than hell itself. And it's sad. And I personally believe there are going to be people in your family and, and, and other families and friends, if you don't share Jesus with them, God expects you to share Jesus with them. It's not your job to save them. You can't do that. But you're supposed to share. And that God wants you to do that. I personally believe that there may be an individual walked in here today and you realize, gosh, there's a great motivation for me to get saved. I, I never, I'll never forget the first time I heard a sermon preached on hell. It scared me to death. Well, my intent is not to scare you. 
My intent is to warn you. Remember what the rich man said? Abraham, please send somebody and warn my five brothers. That's a reality. Now, with your head bowed and your eyes closed,